Welcome to the Moving Forward Podcast. This is your host, Corey Cottrell, and my good buddy, Rio Verdenier. Hey, guys. 1.4 seconds. I think it was about 1.4 seconds. I like it. That's a good range. <laughs> anyway, uh, we're covering healthcare today uh, on uh, uh, on the podcast. We wanted to get to some, you know, the, the, uh, the full kind of uh, Andrew Yang uh, uh, policy prescription for this extremely important plan, especially in the Democratic Party, like you basically you need to have your 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 healthcare jobs in the country, really, right? Like even even Republicans are pulling really really high on the fact that the healthcare system in this country sucks for most people uh, because it does. Uh, it's 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 not uh, good, and even when it is good, it's despicably inefficient. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna walk through all that stuff, and we're really really excited. We have a really cool guest coming on uh, uh, next. We'll be releasing that in in a day or two. Uh, so it's kind of a, a good two-parter. And then after that, I think we're going to come back and uh, compare this plan to uh, a few of the other uh, Democratic plans that are out there. We would compare it to Trump's plan, but he doesn't fucking have one. So that's, you know, his plan is like, I like turtles. You know, it's, it's, it just doesn't exist. Or just repeal Obama's thing because that black guy had a, made a law and fuck that guy. Like that, although, that's... although in, in Trump's defense, I just saw a poll. And this, this is, I think this is a rele- relevant um, point to start on. Good. I just saw a poll that showed that more Americans want government out of health care altogether than want Bernie Sanders' version of Medicare for all. I would need to see that poll done many <laughs> times because that's stupid. Like that, well, like, <laughs> and I, I get the idea, like, and the, the, the argument that I, you know, I think you've, you've made where there really is sort of an unholy relationship now because, you know, it, because of the for-profit industry, and this is one of the reasons why it should be obliterated, uh, it won't be, but whatever, uh, is, is because they're so good, or maybe just get rid of lobbyists, lobbyists are able to go in and basically cut out rules, right? So now you've got a situation where for-profit companies are creating better rule sets for themselves and that's why, you know, a, an aspirin at a hospital costs $50,000 or whatever the fuck it is, right? Like, it, it, it really is the, the locus for where all the inefficiencies lies. So if, you know, you're an American who's too busy going to work, you know, to, to pay attention to the minutia of how, you know, for-profit or public-private partnerships should work, I could see where you would come to the erroneous conclusion that the best thing to do is to give it only to the people that have profit motive to make sure that you get kicked off insurance the second your kid gets leukemia. Um, well, and that's not even that's not even Trump's position. Trump Trump's position. I know he doesn't have one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Trump doesn't have one at all. Trump's position is repeal Obamacare and then create something much better that will cost less money that everybody will be happy with. That somehow the government has a role in, but he right. has not elaborated in any detail whatsoever. His um, whole yeah, it's his prescription <laughs> for everything. Say word salad and then hope the dummies don't pay attention. And he got elected, so that says yeah. things. Anyway. But no, I mean, it was a pretty, it was a pretty robust poll and, and the numbers broke down more or less along these lines. About 53% of Americans support having a public option um, with private insurance and they want the public option to be something like Medicare for all. Yeah. So there is actually a majority support for Andrew Yang's position. Um, and, yeah. and then only about 13% support outlawing private insurance. At about fifteen percent support, do getting the government out of healthcare altogether. 
that's the way it breaks down. And then there's another category that was like, leave it the way it is. (laughs) Okay. So I I can only imagine that we'll get into this uh, uh, through that. If just as a caveat, if you're, if you've never listened to the show before, I'm Canadian. I come from, you know, a a country where universal healthcare was, was standard, uh, which is why when I look at this healthcare system here, I just laugh at how fucking pathetic it is because it's dumb. Anyone that tells you, that they would prefer the U.S. Guys, healthcare, healthcare system to the American healthcare system is rich or stupid. Those are the only two versions. I have never met a single Canadian who would prefer the U.S. healthcare system who wasn't also well over a millionaire because it will not happen. Um, it just or they don't understand how dumb the U.S. system is. Right. right? I mean, right. And, and it's like in all, nowadays um, to ha- if afford like a middle class lifestyle, you kind of have to be a millionaire. Like that's pretty much what, that's what the situation is. Okay. And and so this is where every time we talk about the middle class, (laughs) now, you know, where Rio's head is at. Look up how much it costs to get a studio apartment in any city in this country, man. It is not cheap. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I mean, we're in, we're in Miami now and and that's, uh, that's, that's, that's. And this is part of the reason we support the UBI, right? Because the idea is like, you know, the reason housing is so outrageously expensive in cities is because that's the only place you can get a decent job in this country. Right. Well, yeah. you had passive income that wasn't tied to being in a city, then you could move out to the country. You could live le- much less expensively. That would actually decrease demand for housing in the cities, which would lower housing prices in the cities. Yep. It would increase property values in all of these towns that are being hollowed out right now. So, I mean, that's it's just only a good thing. Yeah, it, it really, really is. Uh, okay, so let's let's jump into this because I'm sure we could just – because I, I, I feel like I haven't chatted with you in a while and we could just – or, or do, you, do we have to talk about the elephant in the room in geopolitics for a couple of seconds before we get rolling? I mean, it's very fog of worries. So I'm reluctant to weigh into it too much, but I mean, happy to tell everybody what my gut feeling is. <laughs> okay. So, okay, Rio. Okay. Uh, everyone, please go watch Letter Kenny. That way, all of my references will make sense. Uh, so, you know, uh, uh, Fuckface McGee decided to assassinate uh, uh, an Iranian general slash, I don't know. Uh, political figure or whatever right uh people have been trying to decide what that is equivalent to i've heard eisenhower which is nuts before he became president um but uh you know i, I keep thinking of petraeus just because of his you know uh, intelligence role within the doj uh, or, uh sorry uh dod and yeah it's uh solomania it would be kind of roughly equivalent to like assassinating petraeus and nancy pelosi if they were the same person well put well put so it's it's at best, an insane provocation. <laughs> and of course, they said it's because he has an imminent threat. Uh, and then anytime anyone was pressed about what that imminent threat was, they were like, oh, like turtles. Like, just, they just immediately equivocated and said, you know, it was a lot of things. And he was a really bad dude. And even all the people, you know, I've been watching MSNBC, all the people on MSNBC feel the, the need to say, this guy was a really bad dude. Let's put this in context. They said that he has the death of 600 American soldiers on his hands. Schwarzkopf in uh, 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 the Iraq war, number one, would have hundreds of thousands of Iraqis on, uh, deaths on his hands. Petraeus, uh, hundreds of thousands of uh, uh, deaths on, on his hands in, in the same kind of way, right? It, like from the Iranian perspective where we're, you know, as often as not the aggressor, right? It's a big fucking mess over there now. Um, you know, it just, it just seems like I always feel the need to, I really want to put that context in because we assassinated a foreign national political figure in a third country. And, and, and I, you know, this, this, putting the tinfoil hat thing on there, there's, there's reports coming out now that they may have actually led him to Iraq to do this. Right. They got they, the, the, the Iraqis 
And the Iranians were saying that he was actually there to talk to the Iranian PM uh, and uh, their foreign minister about lowering tensions with Saudi Arabia. And then we fucking, you know, uh, uh, shot at his car from the sky. So it, it's, it's a big mess. Like, it's a really big mess. And my immediate re reaction to it is like, well, Trump definitely doesn't want to talk about being impeached. So start a war, which is exactly, and of course, there's always a tweet for this, right? There's a tweet from 2015 where he was telling everyone that he was absolutely dead certain that Obama was going to start a war with Iran uh, because he would never get reelected otherwise, right? Like, it's just, he's the master, I think, Rio, you said this on Twitter, he was the master of progression, right? It's just, it's literally true. He's the projector in chief is what I say. <laughs> yeah, and much, no, much catchier. Literally everything that he said Obama would do, he's actually doing, right? Including mm -hmm. gunning for an unconstitutional third term and golfing too damn much, right? <laughs> like, well, I mean, with people like Trump, if you want to know what their deepest, darkest, like, impulses are, look at what they accuse their enemies of. That's right. Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't think, I don't think that there is anything now that they, even, even currently, like in real time, everything that they say the Democrats are doing in any way is exactly what they're doing. Like over and over and over again. Yeah, so my take on this, I, I, I'm very reluctant to weigh into whether or not it was a good or bad thing to do. Um, and I'm definitely not sympathetic to the, I want to say the left, but it's not really true. It's actually kind of like, there's like an anti-interventionist isolationist um, thread running through American political history, which is not really, doesn't really toe the line on the left or the right. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, and, it's and, like and the, Tulsi, ways, the Tulsi yeah. and Rand Paul uh, uh, right. uh, get together. Yeah, exactly. And in a lot of ways, um, Trump ran as like an anti-war candidate. Right. So, my first takeaway is if he actually does start a real full on war, it'll be his fault um, because it's a problem of his own making uh, because he pulled out of the Iran deal and he makes a big deal out of the fact that we quote gave them a bunch of money. But of course the money was money that we had frozen Iranian funds. That was their money, mm -hmm. which we froze. And we said, we will only release the funds if you agree to this deal. Right? And then they so, did. <laughs> and they agreed to the deal and they were doing their part of the deal. So what Trump did by pulling out of the deal, which was really backing out on an, agree an international agreement that didn't just, wasn't just betraying Iran, but like all of our allies who also were relying on that deal. Um, so by doing that, what he did was he basically said like, cool, now you guys got your money back and we're not going to hold you to your end of the bargain. So they actually came out <laughs> they, they won that situation, right? They got their money and they don't have to comply with the, the, the requirements around nukes. So well, now and they here's what's a nuclear arsenal. <clears throat> well, here's what's interesting. They're, they're doing the, the, uh, the centrifuges again, right? Because um, why the fuck wouldn't they? Like at this, at this point, they, they, you know, the only thing that would have saved Libya is if they had a nuke, right? The only reason why we don't run into North Korea is because they have nukes. So it is, other than the fact that they, you know, the, the assholes in charge I remember Ahmadinejad was talking about, like, we want nukes because we want to wipe Israel off the map. And everyone in Iran must have been like, motherfucker, shut up. Because, like, it is extremely rational for a country that's surrounded by U.S. air bases with all the, you know, half the, the politicians in, in, in the country keep saying, bomb, bomb, bomb Iran. Oh, McCain, we miss you. Even that sounded reasonable now. Uh, it's entirely rational for them to want deterrence. Completely rational. 
and yeah, unfortunate yeah, that they've also, also for, it's also rational for us to not want them to get 100 percent because they've also religiously zealots that that some of them are have said things like they want to wipe israel <laughs> off the map in a raging fire like that's obviously it's not good so we wanted them right. to not have nuclear weapons obama thread the needle as perfectly and john Kerry. john Kerry had an amazing interview with uh, the pod save uh, uh, pod save the world guys it, where he basically talked about how hard all that was and what they were doing and all, like it's just it was diplomacy at its best. Yeah, we, diplomacy is not easy. You never get everything that you want. Right. If Trump were a real businessman, he would know that, that when you strike a deal, nobody gets everything they want. That's just like the nature of actually making a deal in reality. Um, but yeah, right. So this is a problem of Trump's own making. Um, we don't really know the details about what was being planned. But the point is, Ron, like as soon as he pulled out of that, that nuclear deal, the odds of us going to war with Iran sometime in the next several years went way, way up. And all yep. the experts at the time said so, including on the right and the left, everybody, right? Yep. Hot, right. isolationists, everybody agreed, other than Trump and his idiotic base, agreed that that was a terrible, terrible, terrible move, right? Why do you think Bolton and- joined the administration? Bolton was like, <laughs> yes. Bolton's a whole other weird part of this story, right? Because the, <clears throat> the second that it looked like everything could spiral out of control and he would finally get the regime change and even tweeted about, hey, this is the first step to regime change in Iraq, which I'm sure made everyone super happy. Uh, that day, that day, he came out and said, well, you know, I've looked at it personally, even though we've been waiting for the courts to, to talk about this. And if subpoenaed, I would talk to the Senate. Now, I mean, the Senate is not even talking about having, you know, Lindsey Graham doesn't even want uh, 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 any uh, witnesses at all. Although somebody pulled up a clip of him in 1999 talking about the fact that if they didn't have witnesses in the Senate, it would be a travesty. Like, there's, there's 1999 tape of Lindsey Graham for everything when it comes to uh, impeachment. But that, that, uh, that came out as well. well um, and now the House is going to be forced to subpoena because the Senate might not, right? And now the House, the House gets the call as bluff and be like, okay, well, A, you, know, you need to come in and talk to us now. And B, the House is now considering new articles of impeachment, which makes me personally very happy because there's so many more we could do. Yeah, well, okay, that's a lot to talk about. Yeah, um, sorry. <laughs> on, on, the, on the subject the of the whole Iran thing, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not really sympathetic to the isolationists and the not anti-interventionists at all. Um, I think people who, for example, say, oh, George W. Bush and even Trump are like these Zionists, et cetera. Um, there's obviously some truth to that. The evangelical base is as loony as um, the... Uh, Mulazar, but the, but the, but like we're talking about a country that literally calls the the nation Islamic, right? I mean that is it is through and through a theocracy right now. Yeah. It's not a secular country. It is a theocracy run by religious nutjobs, right? So like we the, we 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 aren't wrong to honestly. I wouldn't even say we're wrong to want to have regime change. I would be fine with that. I think that there are, I think that like we've talked about this before, my um, long-term foreign policy goal would be to create a, a new version of the UN where only democratic capitalist societies are members and all non-members are not recognized as real states, but are recognized as criminal regimes. And then we collect. <laughs> I don't think you've ever actually mentioned the criminal regimes before. <laughs> but like they are, right? That's like dark. I mean, this, they're, this, they're not this, though. Uh, there are other <laughs> kinds of people in the world, Rio. And again, like, would I like to cancel every single theocrat in all countries, including this one? Right? I would do it. 
you know, if we could do it nicely, like if we could send them all off to retirement and it'll look really, really nice. Just like, Hey, thank you for all of your assistance. The world's not flat. Jesus isn't real. You fucking idiot. Go away. I would do that if we could do it nicely. Right. Right. But, that, but, but, but here's the thing. There are 80 million people in Iran that don't agree. Right. And so like I, imposing our will, and again, we can, that's a whole other conversation, but maybe one we can have uh, later on. Cause I'm, I have the idea of having a UN where, where it's, where it's liberal democracies or like where that, that uh, gestalt, that idea, that uh, uh, ideal is, is represented and celebrated. Um, <laughs> calling everyone else criminal is, uh, well, it's a recipe. I, I, for, it's a recipe for war. Your kind will never have to fight. So it's, <laughs> Yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, only only poor I'm people will. About, so you know, I'm more concerned about global long-term stability. And yeah. my biggest, my biggest, my my biggest criticism of Trump. The reason I'm saying all this is because I'm not opposed to the project of regime change at all. Right. So I am not coming at this from that perspective. Okay. I'm simply looking at the fact that he made a situation worse by his own decisions. Right. And then he escalated it in a complete, in a way that probably was not proportional. And like, if if we do wind up getting in in a war, I suspect that it was due to his own mistakes. And I don't think that he is smart enough, nor do I think he's surrounded by smart enough people to be able to see this through intelligently. I mean, he has alienated all the experts. He now has C C grade or D grade advisors remaining at best. Yeah. Right. So we, this is like, we might have the best military in the world. We do, but we do not have the best Americans in charge of the military. Right now. And the proof in the pudding for that one is the general in Iraq, when uh, the Iraqi parliament said all U.S. troops have to get out, wrote a letter, sent it through, through official channels to the Iraqi parliament saying, you're, you're absolutely right. Because they have a really good relationship. The, the general in charge, uh, the Iraqi general in charge in Baghdad and the U.S., uh, in charge of all the allies uh, that were sent back in there to fight ISIS, which of course all that is canceled now. ISIS is going to come back, uh, which is exactly what Trump knew how to do, even though the generals didn't. Anyway, um, so that that letter's real, right? Like that, they he literally said, "Hey, we're actually going to get out because that's international law. We don't have a choice, right?" And he made that call, and now Trump is calling that general's letter a hoax. Like they've got no idea, they've got no like ability to deal with it. And now when, when, even when generals are automatically obeying international law in extremely polite, you know, uh, letters to people they have good relationships with, he has to rescind that because like, there's no, there's, there's very little connection there. And that is a recipe for fucking disaster. It really is like, like a full blown war with Iran. I hope people understand this. Iran is not Iraq, right? I even had somebody on hashtag coffee this morning said, oh man, with the U.S. military so amazing that any war with Iran would be over 20 minutes. No, it fucking wouldn't. Right in their war with uh, with Iraq, they lost a million people, and they fucking wouldn't let go. Yeah, they've got ballistic missiles. <clears throat> you know how many times the U.S. has been hit? Like any U.S. base has been hit by ballistic missiles once. It happened last night. Yeah. right. Like this is not this is not something where we can we can fuck around. Here's the the last thing I want to say on this. It looks like Trump is is basically working to de-escalate now. I would bet a lot of money that Putin called and said, slow the fuck down. That would make sense. 
apparently Erdogan's in on it now too. And of course, Erdogan has uh, uh, two Trump towers that he can nationalize anytime well, he wants. Corey, I'm glad you brought that up because you know when you were talking about criminal regimes and you know like where where do you draw the line and you know the new UN and all this stuff and and I understand. You, when you hear me say criminal regime, you think that means that I'm, I'm saying we should send in, you know, the international police and overthrow all of these countries overnight, right? That's not what I'm suggesting. What I'm saying is that there's more than one way to skin a cat. There are smart ways to achieve regime change, and there are dumb ways to achieve regi- regime change. Right, a yeah. smart way would be to say, like, look, just being recognized as a legitimate state um, by the most powerful countries in the world is a very valuable thing, Right. Yeah. Take pulling that rug out from underneath a regime delegitimizes them with their own people. That's important. Also, you stop trading with them. You don't do a unilateral trade war with China. You get all of the richest countries in the world together and you in Davos and you say, hey, gee, we're all going to stop trading with you tomorrow unless you democratize. It's not right? like default. That's how you do it. As a that's, that's how you do it. You don't like, I mean, obviously you don't go invade a country with nuclear weapons. That would be suicidal, right? right. But like, let's face it, this, the, the situation we have right now where we have countries of various levels of legitimacy that really are run by criminals, Putin, for example, and you, and you, that just can't go on forever. That, this, is, this is not sustainable. We have to have some kind of plan to make to fix this if, if we if we had you know i don't know let's say a third of the states in the united states were run by the mob <laughs> would, we, would, the, would, would the federal government be like well oh well yeah, no, you know whatever no, that's I, I'm that's what the people that. of kansas want you know like yeah, no yeah. you would be like no that's yeah. bullshit we're I, like <laughs> i like that demarcate even just like and we can we can decide where the line would be or whatever and i like i i do uh, i think that's an interesting way to, to add a stick and you could always add carrots to that in the, the sort of the yangification of it there would always be uh really really healthy carrots to come on board what would you do with a with a semi-lunacy theocratic uh uh, uh fairly large economy uh with a big military that liked to start wars and unilaterally drone people in seven countries. Would they be allowed into uh, this new UN? No. Okay, cool. Then who's going to start it? Because the U.S. can't. They wouldn't be let in. <laughs> We've talked about this before. But, yeah, I mean, I think getting our, our own ducks in a row at home first okay. would be step okay. one. Yeah. So, like, Yang first. Like, I mean, we can't, like, but like, yeah. we, can't, we can't do the thing that isolationists like to do and say, like, historically the U.S. has done these things, therefore – you know, we, you know, we're, we're for all, we forever lost all moral authority. That's, that's not correct either. I mean, like if, if, right. if Xi Jinping or Putin or whoever, like said, like, I'm going to step down and put somebody else in charge and we're going to democratize. We're, I'm not going to put them in charge. I'm going to sit down. We're going to have a real election, right? We're going to recognize the universal declaration of human rights. We're going to stop abusing our people. If they did that, then they would become a legitimate state, right? You couldn't just say like, because of their history, they are forever cut out. Right. So yeah. that, that's, that's the standard. Okay. Um, anyway. Yeah. So like, you know, um, it, you, you, the, the problem with, with Trump is that he is going about it all wrong and he's allying with, he's allying with the bad guys. And, yep. and, and so like, it, go, attacking Iran seems random when he's not standing up to North Korea or Saudi Arabia or China. I mean, he's letting China run roughshod over Hong Kong. Like, that's no big deal. Like, I mean, he clearly has no, like, coherent um, like, is, foreign policy It is vision. coherent, though. 
No, well, it's based on his own personal self-interest. That's it. That's exactly it. It's perfectly coherent. It just has nothing to do with benefiting anybody but himself. I agree with that. I think you're right about that. So, th- so, th- so you and I disagree with each other a lot. We also agree with each other a lot. But one thing we definitely agree about is that whatever is going on in this fog of war, however justified or unjustified what we did with Soleimani was, the wrong person is captaining this boat right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hard agree. <laughs> All right. Let's talk right. healthcare. <laughs> let's let's dig it now. Now, yeah. Now that we've established that World War Three is on the horizon, let's talk healthcare. Uh, so <clears throat> Yang calls this uh, policy Medicare for all. Um, and you know, if, if, uh, if you're already grumpy about that, uh, that's interesting. You should, you should look at that. Uh, we are having the, uh, the wrong conversation on healthcare. I just gotta start reading this now. Uh, instead of addressing the underlying problems, driving unaffordability and access, we Democrats are spending all of our time arguing over who is the most zealous and wanting to cover Americans over who has wanted to do so longer over who cares more about the health of Americans. We talk about how we're going to pay for it, but the reality is we're already paying for it. We pay for it when we can't switch jobs. We pay for it when new jobs are are temp or gig jobs that don't provide healthcare. We pay for it when all of our prices are higher. We pay for it when healthcare costs drive us into bankruptcy. Already, he's the only person I've uh, seen that is talking about uh, the the, the sunk cost. Like basically, um, what's the term for it that I'm totally blanking on right now, Rio? Sunk cost fallacy? No, no, no. It's not the sunk cost fallacy. Like, <laughs> like the the we were talking about it with uh, with media and stuff. I'm sorry, guys. Um, oh, for fuck's sake. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? But like, like forget the term. Like, what do you? So you no, know, like you know, the the, uh, uh, the the carbon tax and stuff. Externalities. Oh. Like he's basically like he's, uh, he's already he's already costing in externalities that are usually ignored. Fucking got it. <laughs> I'm pretty right, excited about got it. it. All yeah. right. Anyway, uh, to be clear, I support the spirit of, spirit of Medicare for all. Uh, and again, for the people getting really grumpy about that, like 60% of the Democratic candidates are, are, are for that, maybe more, uh, that idea or ideal, uh, and have since the first day of this campaign, I do believe that swiftly reformatting 18% of our economy, economy, mm, 18% of our economy. <laughs> Does it really have that typo? No, of course not. I just oh. can't speak English. <laughs> I've been, yeah, English is my second language. Uh, I do believe that swiftly reformatting 18% of our economy and eliminating private insurance for millions of Americans is not a realistic strategy. And, and it's not. Uh, so we need to provide a new way forward on healthcare for all Americans. Uh, well, as- yeah, no, I mean, and like real quick interjection going sure. back to the beginning of this conversation. If for no other reason, it's unrealistic because it's unpopular, right? So this idea that Bernie Sanders being president, all of a sudden, you know, instead of 13% of Americans supporting that. Yeah, he'd never, suddenly, he'd never get a pass. It's not like, I mean, when when 13% of people get what they want and the 87% of people don't, that is not democratic. <laughs> you well, know? Okay, like, so I do want to say- You gotta win the war of ideas first and he has not. Well, right? okay, and, and so, hold like, on. It's just, it's a false comparison because it's really what they need to be comparing is like a, a policy that's popular that could pass. Yeah. Like Yang's or one that will never happen, at so, least not until a lot of people change their minds. Right, let me right? touch on this because this has been- there. This has been the story of Bernie Sanders from the start, right? Nobody was talking about this beforehand. It, everybody was just like, no, no, no. Let's like, you know, uh, use a Republican idea. That's the ACA. It's a fucking Republican idea. Uh, and everything will be fine. Of course it's not. It's ridiculous. Uh, and, and the argument around, you know, anytime you have uh, private insurance companies dealing with the government, the profit motive will end up rat fucking normal human beings. That's just going to happen. The profit motive in healthcare is garbage, 
right? So the, the ideal of wanting to, to move towards that system and carrying the conversation forward is fantastic. Now, in, in the situation with, with Bernie and why I'm not against the way that he's actually doing this, what I wanted Obama to do the whole time, find the ideal, and the ideal is like a, a, a shinier, more technological version of the uh, Canadian healthcare system, if we could wave our magic wands and make that happen. It, like, let's make that happen. Let's fight for that ideal. We're never going to get that ideal, but through negotiation, we end up with uh, a public option, as an example, right? But you need that, somebody, hold on, you need somebody on, yeah. the, on the outside end talking about what the end state is, even if it seems like it's irrationally impossible to, to, to move the ship. Now, right. what's really fun is he would be better off doing that in the Senate and have somebody like Yang come in and say, okay, here's, here's the, the aggressive consensus position that we can change much quicker that the 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 way the legacy infrastructure and there's tons of it 18 percent of the economy uh in america is going to be able to handle transitioning and allowing for these uh, you know technological and 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 uh, you know kind of government hacks or whatever that i'm sure we're going to be reading about um it you know it's just gonna it's just gonna make a lot more sense but i i i love the fact that there's people on the outside that are actually pushing for the ideal so that there's a position that we can actually come back to because Arguing with Republicans logically is fucking insane. They're never right, going right. to do anything that way. <laughs> let, me, let me just clarify, though. Go it's on. the ideal for 13% of the population, right? It, but it, so, was, it used to be two. Okay. That, right? like, that's progress, I, I grant you. Well, that's the like, thing. He's, you know, he's moving, he's the, moving country, the numbers on it. The, the country changed its mind. The country has changed its mind on, on big issues very quickly before. Right? And here's the thing. It's because America is sort of... example, it's because, like yeah. a total 180. Like, it can happen. But, the, but, but here, here, here's where I'm coming from, right? I'm asking, and I know I'm preaching to the choir here with you and with most of our listeners, but maybe this will help us try to persuade other people, right? But like, I'm thinking about the people who say, I like Andrew Yang, but, I'm cho- but Bernie Sanders is my first choice. And their reason is because they like Bernie Sanders' version of Medicare for all better, right? Yeah. I don't think that's logical. I don't think it makes sense to do that in a situation where, as you said, Bernie Sanders is in the Senate. He can already vote right now. <laughs> he can yeah. vote. He can put forward bills and he can vote on them, right? The reason we don't have it is because he hasn't been able in his entire lifelong career as a politician paid for with our tax dollars, he has not yet, yet been able to pass this, right? right? If he manages to actually pass it, Andrew Yang will sign it, right? He's right. not going to veto that bill. It's not like Andrew Yang is hostile to Bernie Sanders' vision. It's just he's more practical. He is a better person to steer the broader conversation around this issue because, again, Sanders, Sanders needs to stay in the Senate to vote because there aren't even enough Democrats that even if the Democrats had a majority in both houses of Congress, yeah. his bill still wouldn't pass. We, so if you want Bernie Sanders' policy, you can't afford to lose one vote. And if Sanders becomes the president, you lose you lose a vote, right? <laughs> well, I mean, like uh, they 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 would be able to get uh, uh, likely a, a you know another. Well, here's the thing: maybe, like, maybe they, not. We don't know. That's the we thing: don't we, we we don't we don't know. So that that's we good. don't know. And and we should actually and, cover and, his policy. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, I, I yeah, just I just I'm just saying that like, but the reason that we can't get even if the Democrats had a majority in both houses of Congress, we can't get Bernie Sanders's bill passed is not because oh, the politicians are these awful people who don't listen to the will of the people. It's because the will of the people is not behind his bill right now. Right. Right. And so like, you've got to like put, you know, they're putting the cart before the horse. And so I'm just saying, if your reason for preferring Bernie Sanders over Yang 
and for denying Americans something that we desperately need, a universal basic income, is, is only because of your, 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 your preference, like this, this abstract theoretical preference for one version of Medicare for all over another, yeah. which won't happen in reality, is not going to happen no matter who is president. Agreed. That, that, that doesn't strike me as smart. Yeah, with, with, all, with all the polling the way that it currently is at. Um, I mean, and Americans need to be, you know, educated about the fact that like, oh, you know, the, 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 the cost is going to go up or whatever, the cost is going to go down. It, like, if your taxes go up, they will go up by far less than what you're going to save by not paying $18 million in fucking premiums all the time. Uh, so anyway, that's the whole right, math right, thing. Right. The, hold on, hold on. That's yeah. the whole math thing that, that the, re, the thing that is running that poll that Rio cited is the fact that Americans do not understand that math or don't believe it. Right. And that, you know, because like the, the, there's a lot of distrust that government can actually handle it. Never mind that the VA uh, has much better outcomes than, uh, than, than the average private healthcare uh, uh, situation by a huge margin, even with all their problems. You know, it's I, I don't fully buy that. As oh, no, you that, know, the, that well. that's that. What I, I mean, my wife works at the VA. I know this for a fact. Like this is this is even with all the the problems that that you know people cite and and you know sometimes people are waiting and there's you know there there there's there's legitimate problems with the VA that that are getting solved and they've been really huge. The it is the highest rated health provider by all the numbers in the country by far. That's not what I meant. I I, oh, okay. I the, you're you're you, I don't, I'm not sure I buy the idea that the only reason that the people aren't behind Bernie Sanders's policy is because they're idiots. I didn't say that. And the, well, <laughs> I, I, mean, said they, I, I said they sucked I, at basic math. Well, okay, so, all right. So, well, or, or distrust, which I think is fair. Well, no, but like, here's the thing, though, right? Like, I'm actually, I mean, I'm the elitist on this show, <laughs> right? If anybody confirm. was going to say, damn, Americans are a bunch of morons, it would be me, right? Bernie Sanders is supposed to be a populist champion of the people. Right. But he just doesn't have the people aren't with him. They're just not. I mean, if he wants to be a Hillary Clinton snob about it, then he should do that. It just seems counter to his brand, right? Like either the people want his policy or they don't. I like it. All right, let's, let's talk Yang, though. We can, we, we can compare and contrast another episode. <laughs> uh, yes. I mean, and, and this is the thing. This is why this conversation around healthcare is, is, is so interesting. So as Democrats, we all believe in healthcare as a human right, um, except Rio, he's fucking new. We all want to make sure there's universal affordable coverage. We know we have a broken healthcare system where Americans spend more money on healthcare to worse results, uh, but we are spending too much time fighting over the differences between Medicare for all uh, or Medicare for all who want it uh, and ACA expansion when we should be focusing on the biggest problems that are driving up costs and taking lives. Uh, okay, so... Uh, we need to be laser focused on how to bring the cost of coverage down by solving the root problems plaguing the American healthcare system. Um, let me just interject. Rio is nodding like a crazy lunatic in the affirmative right now. And this is a good thing. This is very fun. The reason why well, I bring yeah, this up I mean, is... He's going to root causes, right? That's I, well, and that's why we get... Both you and I are getting excited about the fact that he's doing this. This is a common theme on the show. The second we go to root causes, we're like, yes, yeah, solve this fucking thing. Anyway, um, if you were a member of our Patreon, you would have actually been able to see him nodding. Uh, and, uh, and, and just really relish in the level of agreement that we have when, when we spend so much time vociferously arguing. Uh, and, you know, you can, you can uh, uh, find our, our uh, Patreon, I think it's Moving Forward Pod, uh, or the Moving Forward Podcast on, on Patreon, and you get, for even as low as a dollar, access to all of these episodes as uh, videos. And you can see Rio's bougie cup that I mention all the time. And, and the peace of mind that you get, yeah, yeah. And yep. the peace of mind that you're doing your part to keep postpartisan 
punditry alive. Yeah, I mean, we yeah, that's the thing. Like we're 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 doing this for free right now, um, and even just as as uh, content providers, even though like Reels Rich, he doesn't fucking need any more money. Uh, but at the same time, should he get paid for real value uh, uh, that he's producing? I personally think that he should, uh, and because if he gets paid, then so will I. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> sorry join our patreon for fuck's sake you'll be able to see the video uh, and yes we would absolutely uh, love your support all the money that we're getting currently uh, is is going into increasing the message growing the podcast uh, and of course spreading the word about andrew mother effing yang that means controlling the cost of prescription drugs that means investing in innovative technology to cut waste and boost access that means changing the incentive structure for providers that means shifting our focus on more stages of care that means revamping what comprehensive care means in the 21st century to include crucial aspects of well-being i love that uh, that means taking on the powerful lobbyists in dc preferably with nerf bats uh, diagnosing i added that bit diagnosing and addressing these underlying problems is the first and most important step in ensuring everyone has a- access to healthcare because we cannot extend quality coverage to everyone without real strategies on how to avoid the toxic incentives of our current system we can't afford to mess this up fundamentally we need to have a more productive conversation about healthcare in america it's time to take a step back from enrollment mechanisms and creative accounting to focus on lowering costs and improving quality uh, my full plan for a new way forward for healthcare in America is a statement on the critical failings of our system and viable paths to solve them. We cannot find the answers to one of the most serious problems in modern American history unless we are asking the right questions. It's time we start asking the right questions. And so we're going to go through the whole frickin' thing. And right, so before, before we dive into the details, right, we should clarify, this is an addendum to Yang's um, Medicare for All policy he's had all along as one of his top three policies, right? He's got the freedom dividend, He's got human-centered capitalism, and he's got Medicare for all. So, like, this is a priority of his. Yeah. It's just not true to say that he doesn't care about it or that he's just paying lip service to it. Absolutely not. Everything we're about to read is in addition to Yang's umbrella Medicare for all policy, which is to, over a period of a few years, and Bernie Sanders' plan, by the way, also is phased in over time. Nobody does it overnight, right? Over a period of a few years, you lower the minimum age requirement for Medicare lower and lower and lower until eventually it covers everybody, right? That's why yep. it's called Medicare for All. So, I mean, I remember getting in a fight with somebody on Twitter recently, a Bernie Sanders supporter who was trying to say like, no, he can't call it Medicare for All. I'm like, dude, he's making it so everybody gets Medicare. How is that not Medicare right. for All? And so <laughs> is the only difference that, you know, because again, like if you're, if you're 65 and you want private healthcare, you can get it if you want yeah. it. You don't have to be on Medicare if you don't want to. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so basically that's the, the you know, it's uh, the two tiered system. So, and yeah, no, so, it. so he's doing two things, right? He's, he's making Medicare available to everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's doing, the second thing is all of these um, refinements to our, our system so that fundamentally we get costs down, right? Which of course, right. you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and everybody else who supports some version of Medicare for all, all talk about, right? Um, and they all have some good ideas about how to get costs down. Um, what I like about the, what the ideas we're about to read of Yang's is that they're not all based on this idea. Like if, if you think about it, the number one reason that Bernie Sanders and, and I think Warren, um, want to outlaw private insurance is because their number one method for getting costs down is, is for the government to have a monopoly and they have a point. I mean, this is just factually true. If the government had a monopoly and nobody else was allowed to provide health care in this country other than the government, right, then they would be able to set the prices at whatever they want, right? 
doctors and pharmaceutical companies would all be working for the government and they would get paid what the government was willing to pay them. That's that, right? So they're not wrong about that. But like Yang, right, since he does have, he wants to make Medicare available to everybody and he wants to have private insurance competing with it for the benefits of competition so that they both are constantly competing for people, for people, which means that both have to provide better services at lower cost in order to compete. That's good. That's why monopolies are bad. But, you know, to his credit, since he is allowing private insurance to compete, he has to have other answers to the question of how do we get cost down. And that's really where all this comes in. And where, and where the controls come in, he actually mentioned yeah. in, in his preamble lobbyists. And I think that, that you know, the way... Yeah. I can envision a way that the because two tier system is illegal in Canada for very good reason that we can talk about later, uh, but the the idea that we can I mean it, it seems like the easiest possible thing to get the most benefit uh, would be to 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 do what what is being described here, and all it would take is controlling the lobbyists and having ruthless regulations for the private corporations, right? And that that's where which, that's the thing that which, I worry about yeah. the most because that's what America is really fucking bad at. Right. And, and which, by the way, if you don't solve that problem, having single payer won't fix it, right? Because there's nothing to stop doctors and other people from lo- pharmaceutical companies and doctors from lobbying the government, which now has monopoly control, right? Right. As lo- as a, so, that's a good so, point. So, yeah. That's, <laughs> and, and, that's, and no, no, but like, that's I mean, illegal in Canada. Like, right. it, that so will not happen in Canada. That's what I was about to say. As part yeah. of the reason Americans, I think, intelligently are skeptical about giving the government that much control is because our government is pretty dysfunctional and has a pretty bad track record. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's totally fair. All, <laughs> All right. right at, at this pace, it's going to take about three hours to get through this year. All right. uh, so, uh, uh, we talk about how we're going to pay for it, but the reality is we're already paying for it. Blah, blah, blah. I said that already. Uh, as Democrats, we all believe in healthcare as a human right. Uh, we all want to make sure there is universal affordable coverage. We know we have a broken healthcare system where Americans spend more money on healthcare to worse results, but we are spending too much time fighting over the differences between Medicare for all and Medicare for all and ACA. Yada, yada. So, okay. Uh, That means controlling the cost of prescription drugs. That means investing in innovative technology to cut waste and boost access. That means changing the incentive structure. He's basically going over the the same thing uh, uh, that he was going for in his his main thing. So diagnosing and addressing these underlying problems is the first and most important step in ensuring everyone has access to healthcare. Uh, Fundamentally, we need to have a more productive conversation about healthcare in America. So we need to fix our broken healthcare system by tackling the root problems through a six-pronged approach. Control the cost of life-saving prescription drugs through negotiating drug prices, using international referencing, reference pricing, uh, forced licensing, public manufacturing facilities, and importation. Uh, so two, invest in technologies to finally make health services function efficiently and reduce waste by utilizing modernized services like telehealth uh, and uh, assistive technology supported by measures such as multi-state licensing laws. Interestingly enough, when you were talking about the UBI allowing you to move uh, out of uh, out of town and just like live, you know, in in, in the woods or whatever on a thousand dollars a month, which I inherently love that as a, as an idea, um, the internet as it will soon be under Starlink by Elon Musk will allow a doctor to sit in a cabin at a lake on a mountain um, and do telehealth uh, mm-hmm. and and make as much as he can make, you know, commuting for an hour and a half a day in Miami. Uh, yeah, which, you know, there, there, that's there are lots going. of, right. Yeah. There are lots of opportunities in, in all kinds of industries to make money remotely nowadays. Yep. Right. Well, and with telehealth, like the best thing you yeah. can do with a sick person is not have them come to the fucking hospital. Yeah. Right? And like it, if they're virus yeah. or bacteria, <laughs> not, if they have a broken arm, yeah. go to the hospital. But you know what I mean? Like that, you know, for communicable disease, you know, telehealth is the best thing out there. 
yeah, it's I'm sure it's better for some things and, and not for other things, right? But <laughs> yeah, that, that, broken leg not being one. Right, yeah. But yeah. like, you're right. I mean, and it's not just, I mean, it, it could be you and a few a few of your friends, right? Yeah. Get together and collectively you could afford a, you know, a really nice house in, in, in the country somewhere. That, that's, that, that really is true. And yep. like you absolutely could do that. And if you want to earn extra money remotely or in the local economy, which would also be doing better because you'd be stimulating the economy, you also have that option. Like the, 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 UBI is, is not a panacea, but what it is, is it's more efficient to dollar for dollar. It's more efficient to empower individual people to spend their money on things that they actually need rather than things that the nanny state thinks they need. Yeah, um, it's, it, you know, like in, in term, while we're talking about Medicare, right? One thing people talk about is taking out the middlemen, right? Well, in every single social welfare policy we have now, there's multiple stages of bureaucratic middlemen, right? right. Who are making decisions and are getting paid money by taxpayers to make those decisions. Yep. Take them out, let individual people just give them their own money, and let individual people make those decisions for themselves. It's much, it's, it's, it's cheaper and it'll result in better outcomes. Um, and, and, and Yang's, uh, I really believe that Yang's reason for wanting to keep private insurance alive is because he fundamentally does believe in when it comes to any kind of policy that it's better to empower individual people to make decisions for their own lives rather than have them be slaves yeah. to the state in all cases. So, okay. So while that, that might be part of it, um, I also think he is as in love with data as I, as I am and knows that there is so far not really any good examples of that. Uh, like in, in, and again, it's not, we're going to get at the same argument we get in all the time. When, <laughs> when it comes to things like jails or things like healthcare, the profit motive is garbage. It just is. It, it, except if it's like, like hyper properly, exceptionally managed or whatever, like there, there, there's a way to thread the needle. But again, like, most of the time that it's tried, it fucking doesn't end well. I mean, and getting it, people to make their, their own decisions around this when insurance companies can make like, you know, insurance plans that don't cover fucking shit and give you a plan that's like 9,000 pages long, right? Like it just, that isn't always true. It is not like I know as an ideologue, it just is always going to be true that if you give people their, their, their own options, it's always going to end better. It won't. That's not true. It's just, it's provably oh, not true. I wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's always better under all circumstances. I think everything else being equal, it's better for people to have autonomy. To have, you know. Okay. And so, so, but like, okay. So think about it just in terms of making it affordable, right? Medicare for all costs X number of dollars per person, right? Yep. That's just what it costs, okay? Now, if some segments of the population is willing not being forced, but is willing to pay into that system and not take out of it, right? That is going to lower the cost of Medicare. And they're happier for I see, it. I see what you're saying. Yeah, so, uh, right. So, like, as long as, long as everyone is paying the same amount, because um, I think that's the, the, the biggest issue with the two-tier system in Canada and why they outlawed it. But if everyone, okay, so Medicare for all is costing us this. This is what everyone is getting, you know, because we're raising taxes, if we're raising X, Y, Z, because we're going to have to do it, right? Like, the, like that, the whole idea that you're not going to raise any taxes whatsoever and you're going to like suddenly have way more people on Medicare for all is fucking ridiculous. But your taxes will be less than your current premiums. That's going to be, that, that should be the rule that everyone just kind of commonly understands, right? No, I, I agree with that. It will. And, that, and, and in that sense, it does kind of, pay for itself in terms right. of like the right I, and so here's saying, the thing like right. if you're paying that <laughs> yes. this is what i love about what you just said 
So yeah. you're just saying like all the rich people, they're all paying exactly what they need to be paying in taxes at all times. And that's all really good. On top of that, they're not going to take out of that system because they're going to go and get this Cadillac system that, uh, it, you know, is, is maybe using more efficiencies, mm-hmm. whatever the fuck you do, right? Like it's just that, that, that doesn't take anything away and only adds. Uh, so I'm totally for it. Again, we got through two lines of a thousand line article. <laughs> okay. <we're, laughs> so like, but like, for example, as a comparison, we have yeah. public schools, right? Like right. people, good, pay yeah. in, people pay into pub, the public school system, whether they have kids or not. Right. And whether or not their kids are in public school or not. Right. And it only makes the cost of public schools lower when people are paying in without having kids in the system. Right. So, so, so people who make good money, who don't have children or who choose to send them to private schools are the ones who are actually making it possible for all of the people who have a bunch of kids and don't make good money to have their kids get an education. So, you know, Republicans are trying to kill that with private (laughs) school vouchers, right? Right, but like people are trying to kill everything, right? Like, okay, I mean, that's the, true. You, you, right. that argument applies to every policy you could think of, right? Of course, people are, <sighs> some people are going to try to kill anything. They're going to have a harder time killing something that a majority of Americans support. Um, I hope that's true. Uh, so, uh, and change the incentive structure by offering flexibility to providers, prioritizing patients over paperwork, uh, and increasing the supply of practitioners. Shift our focus in educating uh, ourselves in preventative care and end of life care options. Uh, ensure crucial aspects of well-being, including mental health, care for people with disabilities, HIV, AIDS, detection and treatment, reproductive health, maternal care, dental, and vision are addressed and integrated into comprehensive care for the 21st century. Diminish the influence of lobbyists and special interests in the healthcare industry that makes it nearly impossible to draft and pass meaningful healthcare reform. Uh, my plan is a statement on the critical failings of our system and viable paths to solve them. We cannot find the answers to one of the most serious problems in modern American history unless we are asking the right questions. It's time we start asking the right questions. One, uh, control prescription drug costs. Uh, why do pre- prescription drugs in this country cost so much? Individual drugs change prices at the whims of those uh, running pharmaceutical companies. Brand name prescription drug prices have risen 76% of the last six years, and they're not slowing down. Uh, and of course, all of this is cited. He's got a, a, a segment there. And of course, you can find this on yang2020.com if you want to do, look at all of, all of his research. Uh, patent trolls or non-operating companies that extract cash settlements from companies they accuse of patent infringement can drive the prices of certain medications up while providing no value in themselves to the U.S. healthcare system. And while drug companies complain constantly about the high cost of research, they fail to mention that almost all FDA-approved drugs over the past several years relied on basic research funded by the National Institute of Health. Uh, they also don't mention the record high profits they've been experiencing in recent years. While drug companies bring in only 23% of healthcare's U.S. revenue, they make 63% of the total profits. I did not know that. That is dark. In 2017, Purdue Pharma uh, alone earned more than $35 billion from OxyContin sales. Um, yeah, Purdue's a whole other story. I can rant about that for hours. Uh, it's making it impossible for Americans who need drugs to afford their treatment. Many are choosing between their medicine and food or shelter. The runaway growth in drug prices since the turn of the century has led the U.S. per capita spending on pharmaceuticals to exceed $1,000 a year, hundreds more than our peers in France, Germany, or the United Kingdom. Uh, We need to put pressure on these companies to get their prices under control and more in line with the rest of the world. Americans pay twice as much as Australians and three times as much as the Dutch on prescription drugs due to lack of price control. Uh, We have to give the federal government authority to negotiate drug prices and use standard international price reference points so pharmaceutical companies can no longer exploit our market and the American people. That's actually another thing of having even a public option, having a national, nationwide public option 
will allow for the kind of negotiating that will drive prescription costs way down. That's that's a huge part of uh, of why that right. uh, well, is so it, much better. In it means it also means that whatever. Yeah, exactly. And it also means that whatever private insurance plans are out there will have to provide better care and lower their prices in order to compete, which is also a good thing. So I, I believe Yang's plan would result in Medicare being better than it is and being universally available to everybody. And also every single private plan in existence being cheaper and better than it is. How is that not progress? And, and, and the key to that is, is, is making sure lobbyists can't touch it. Like that. Agreed. Because that anyway, so but and and but again, that's also a problem with Sanders's proposal too, right? It's a problem with any any policy. Well, and but Sanders solves it with an axe, right? And and honestly, Canada did too, right? Like the the, the way well, to do by it by outlawing private insurance. But you're forgetting that there are still people who like so in a nonprofit situation, there are still individuals who profit from it, right? Yeah. In this case, it's the people who the government, you know, like you don't think government contractors can lobby the government to make Well, no, and so here's the thing. Of in course Canada, they can. But it, it ends up being colossally different. It Read just about does. Halliburton, right? You could have the, you could have here's pharma, you could have the, you could have the yeah. pharma version of Halliburton under Bernie Sanders' policy. I'm just saying. Well, in this country, right? In but that, like the way, the way that he's solving the lobbyist problem, problem, yeah, English is definitely my second language today. Um, in Canada, you have like a doctor's association that is negotiating for prices, right? So there, there, there's negotiators at the table to lobby for, you know, better prices for, uh, uh, for doctors and, and that kind of thing. The ultimate right. decision, you know, always ends up being, uh, uh, you know, part of the, the government's triage or, 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 or you know, the, the policy they end up setting or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So he's looking at that and that has worked in multiple countries. So that's, that's why he wants to, to take it in this particular direction and it does solve this problem and again we go back to the thing is like which one of yang's you know like are we gonna are we gonna be able to pass yang's collection of things or bernie sanders things while like 60 percent of the or well 50 percent at least of the country is going to be calling the socialist at the time and people are totally freaked out about you know having to pay more taxes because they don't really understand yet that their premiums would go away yeah, but I don't actually think it's about the taxes as much. I, I, I think that... More, I, I mean, I, I, talk think, to, I talk to actual Democrats, I think, no, more than I you that. do. And I that, understand that. That's, that's but, the centrist Democrats, that's what they end up talking about. All you got to do is listen, listen to anybody interview uh, uh, um, the difference between Biden and Buttigieg and Warren and uh, uh, Bernie Sanders is... They, and they even brought it up the debate. They'll go to, to Warren or, or uh, like Warren's plan apparently cost $25 trillion over, over 10 years or whatever, right? right? And they use that number because it scares people. Oh, my God, like we're going to have to pay more taxes. And it completely and totally is disingenuous because it's basically like, yeah, we're spending $60 trillion in premiums, right? But they never mentioned that. Right. Whereas nobody ever, right. nobody ever talks about I, that. I with, don't, uh, I don't uh, personally. Yeah, no, I don't personally find that argument compelling. The part that I find compelling is right, right, exactly. It's not, but like, I mean, if you, again, just looking at the data um, and, and, and healthcare, people actually are pulled about healthcare a lot. There's a lot of robust pulls out there and you know, there's um, there, you know, within the margin of error um, it's very, very clear that most Americans support Medicare for all, right? A, smaller percentage of people support Medicare for all if it means income taxes on the middle class go up. And then a very small percentage of people support Medicare for all if it means outlawing private insurance. So you're right that people are concerned about taxes and Yang 
also addresses that because the freedom dividend is a massive de facto, massive de facto tax relief for right. the middle class. So it could more than offset any additional taxes from Medicare. So not only is it not costing you more money out of pocket in terms of premiums and everything, but you're actually also still richer. You're getting better healthcare and yeah. Yeah. Uncle Sam has taken less money from you total, right? Even, so that's a good thing. 100%. <laughs> even even for middle class people as defined. Sure yeah, go ahead, I know, go ahead. I know we have a lot to talk about. So. No, you're good. So all I was saying about the lobbyists is that the, the problem of lobbyists is a separate issue from what form of Medicare we do. Even with a single payer system where the government has been, perhaps especially in a situation where the government has total control over, over healthcare, lobbyists will still be a problem, right? You see, you, yeah. lobbyists can still lobby to have higher prices. So, so here's the thing, like th there is a, a fundamental difference in Canada about how this orchestrates, but it could be the fact that like Canada has lobbyists, like people that advocate for positions uh, but bribery is illegal in Canada. So yeah. no, exactly. That's what <laughs> so I'm that, saying. Right. So, well, so, you're, and, so you're right in that. In right, this, yeah. And to be clear, right. to be clear, Bernie Sanders and, and Andrew Yang both support a constitutional amendment to overturn Citizens United, which I oppose. But they also, <laughs> but they also both support, more importantly, they also yes. both support um, the uh, democracy dollars policy. Yes. Which Bernie Sanders borrowed from Andrew Yang and that's Great. a good thing. Right? 100%. I'm not mad about that. Nope. I wish he would also borrow the UBI. Fucking it. <laughs> Okay, uh, okay, so uh, if these companies are not willing to compromise, we need to ensure the U.S. government has the ability to force licenses for these drugs uh, to companies who will. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> that's, that's some balls right there. Additionally, we need to authorize the creation of public manufacturing facilities to make these drugs, as well as other necessary drugs and unprofitable but necessary medications. That's huge. Nobody, I've never heard anyone talk about that, like unprofitable medications. There are medications out there right now that just you're, they're not allowed to make that are intensely good at freaking everything, but nobody's making money on it. Uh, and, and, you know, the government isn't allowed to do it for themselves. So that's, that's, that's really smart. Uh, if all else fails, we need to allow the importation of medications from other countries, like Canada, where, where we buy it for cheap from America. I, I, yeah, and I, I, I appreciate... I appreciate that he de that he makes it clear that that's a last resort, though, right? It's right. I mean, it, it, it should be. It should because for one thing, there's safety issues involved in that as well, right? I mean, we we have some we have standards about what we consider safe, that, which I'm sure need to be improved. Yeah. I'm not saying that's, that they're perfect here, right? But like, at least we have since it's our democracy, we have some control over that. So yeah, it should be a, a last resort. But yeah, absolutely. I don't think I don't think we would need to. I think there's a lot of uh, uh, things that that come first that would would happen. Yeah, so as yeah. president, Andrew Yang will work with Congress to pass laws to negotiate drug prices, use international reference pricing uh, to set a baseline, and allow for forced licensing of medications if companies can't come to a reasonable agreement with the federal government on costs in line with international prices. Uh, that that alone would 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 almost solve the issue. Uh, create public manufacturing facilities to produce generic drugs and produce drugs through a forced license to keep costs at a minimum. Um, also manufacture unprofitable medications and important high demand medications. Uh, that, no, you're right. You're right, Corey. Nobody else is talking about that. And that is super smart. It's clutch. He's also, he's not stepping on anybody's toes, right? That's just yeah. a win-win situation. There's, private insurance companies, uh, pri private, pri yeah. private companies don't want to produce them because they're not profitable. <laughs> yeah. Right? There, there's drugs that they're doing sort yeah. of in, in, uh, uh, in longevity <laughs> science. There's drugs that you can make for like fucking micro pennies that on average would extend people's lifespan by 10 years, right? They, like, they, they're, they're, and nobody wants to do it because you can't really make any money doing it. Like it's just, it's, it's, not, it's not a thing, but it's the kind of thing that, that, uh, that he could do with these situations. 
uh, which is fantastic. Right. And to be clear, the reason you can't make money isn't because it's not a beneficial um, product. It's because you can't get a patent on it and, and, and other legal mumbo jumbo issues that get in the way that have nothing to do with how eff effective the medicine actually is. Right. So uh, number two, uh, and of course we got to go through six uh, <laughs> at this pace, uh, we're going to need two hours. Invest in innovative technology. Uh, can innovative uh, innovation help reduce healthcare costs? The advancement of health and communication technology has the potential to increase access to care while reducing overhead. We should invest in expanding existing technologies to reach those in underserved areas, especially the 77% of rural counties that are considered rural primary care deserts, 9% uh, of which have no physicians at all. With greater telehealth infrastructure, we can help nurse practitioners and other health professionals provide a higher level of care under the digital supervision of a doctor. By harnessing the power of technology, we can ensure that the healthcare system functions more efficiently and effectively. Interestingly enough, uh, uh, my brother-in-law is a PA in the Air Force, uh, and that's more or less how they do it. Like they they provide uh, uh, active duty care that is intensely good and intensely cheap because they train people up uh, uh, to be to be PAs that have access to, to centralized doctors. Because ninety-five percent of what a doctor does, uh, you know, a, a PA uh, can do. Like in you know sort of regular general healthcare sort of situations. Uh, utilizing telehealth to meet provider demands. The demand for physicians is outpacing the available supply and the shortage is causing problems for the nation's growing and aging population. Telehealth is an effective approach for doctors across the country to provide care for patients in rural and underserved areas over the internet without needing a specific redundant license to practice medicine in the patient's state. Utilizing telehealth will enhance quality of life and, and reduce hospital visits while curbing deaths from chronic diseases. Patients will be able to access treatment that may not be conveniently located. About 62% of rural counties are not equipped to provide services such as diabetes, self-management, education, and support. Uh, numerous case studies have illustrated the benefits of telehealth for uh, DSMES so far. For example, once a rural clinic in Montana implemented it, 61% of participants began monitoring their blood sugar accurately after just six months, an improvement from 31% pre-telehealth. Uh, the services have also shown positive results for mental health, stroke treatment, cardiac rehabilitation, and cancer treatment. Uh, medication, uh, uh, medication abortion has similar efficacy of terminating early pregnancy as in-person abortions. Enlarging the ge geographical footprint of medical providers through telehealth can improve access to abortion in the 27 U.S. cities where populations greater than 50,000 people that have no abortion clinics within 100 miles. Uh, Republicans suck it. Telehealth is a cost-effective alternative to the most, uh, to more traditional face-to-face -face way of providing medical care and has the potential to save billions annually while improving healthcare-related strokes, cardiac services, diabetes, and epilepsy. Ensuring healthcare for all uh, also requires federal regula regulation of telehealth and expanding it in a way where we can distribute services and treatment. As president, Andrew Yang will encourage the use of telehealth in rural areas and for mental health services. Uh, invest mm -hmm. into the use of telehealth in rural areas including ensuring broadband access for 99.9% of Americans, uh, something Canada did 28 years ago. Uh, allow licensed physicians to administer medical services and medications through telehealth services. Assistive yeah, technology. Yeah, no, and, and he, seems, he seems aware of the fact. I mean, it's, it's not like he's saying he's going to take away in-person care or that he uh, discounts the, the benefit of in-person care. He's just saying there are situations where people would be better off with telehealth care than with nothing. <laughs> right. That's, right. So that, that's really, yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. And so that, that's a, that's a good, that's a good, that's a good idea. And really like if you, if you had the flu and you're like, Oh, I have the flu. I don't know why you would use that weird accent. 
Uh, and you're like, I don't want to get out of bed and drive for a yeah. half an hour to go see a doctor. And I can just go like, beep, boop, boop, phone app and like, oh, the flu. And like the same conversation is going to happen as in the doctor's office. You're not giving the flu to, you know, some old person that's going to die an hour later. Like that, you know, it's just, it's, it's, there's, there's a lot of benefits. There are, there are cases where it's actually better as well. Yeah. Yeah. So assistive technology to boost coverage. Uh, As we continue to invest in medical innovation, we must integrate assistive technology into the primary care provided by doctors and nurses. Um, Existing technologies like telehealth and emerging technology like medical AI must be leveraged to expand care. Working together through telemedicine, teams of nurses, AI, and doctors will be able to provide care to thousands of Americans that currently have limited access to healthcare. As this technology advances, we need to trust in our nurses and nurse practitioners to provide care that is historically the responsibility of MDs. This will be essential in providing access to care across rural areas and can even be supervised by a doctor through a telehealth system. This new system, combining the best of AI, telehealth, and professional expertise, will allow for a more flexible and responsive health force without sacrificing quality of care. Two things. One, the current chess master on the planet is two guys that are not very good at chess. They're like kind of good um, and a laptop, right? Yeah. That beat the supercomputer that's really good at chess and they can beat chess masters, which is really interesting. The partnership yeah. uh, of, of decent AI uh, and not even groundbreaking, but like decent, decent AI uh, and human beings is really, really powerful. And yeah. currently they already have AIs that are much, much better at diagnosing illnesses than the average mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a general practitioner doctor. And again, yeah. that can roll out to everyone tomorrow. Right. And so you like, right. if you, if you, if you have, you know, a, a nurse practitioner or, or a physician's assistant, that kind of level of training, um, you know, you can, you can be as powerful or more as a doctor to hundreds of more people, hundreds of times more people. It's uh, it's, it's, it's going to be really amazing. Yeah, no, totally. And, and, um, as we've been talking about, I mean, part, part of the reason we like the idea of a UBI that's indexed to GDP is because over time the UBI grows and the long-term goal or even medium-term goal is that nobody ha- has to go without basic necessities, right? But we still have capitalism where people are motivated to earn extra money because there's all these luxuries in the world that are always going to be desirable and people are, and, and you know, the, there's, there's going to be limited availability of some things, sometimes some places. And so you still need a fair way to divvy out those things that are relatively scarce, right? And so in the case of healthcare, <clears throat> what Yang is proposing is a situation where nobody has to go without the basics of healthcare or even without good healthcare, right? But if you want to have, you know, a private room in the hospital with a bay window, or right. if you want to have a doctor come and treat you in, in your bed, right, and hold your hand for two hours, then you pay extra. I think that's fine. <laughs> You know, yes. it's about, it's about, it's like, there, there, there are some things that some people can't imagine caring about because they just want to, they just want to get treatment. Yeah. Right. But they they matter to some other people. And like when you. you're trying to thread the needle like Yang does, you should take that into consideration. All right. We, we, we get it. You want a nice room. Uh, <laughs> He, he wants to have somebody go downstairs, get him coffee in his bougie cup and bring it back up on a silver fucking tray. Anyway, multi-state licensing and federal registration for physicians. I was just translating that for everybody else. Human anatomy. This is something I didn't know. Human anatomy doesn't change across state lines. No kidding. Really? Uh, apparently. That's, that's apparently real. <laughs> Although, I don't know if you guys know, Matt Gates in Florida, I would, I would put money on the average dick size in his neighborhood being way down. Uh, but doctors are still required <laughs> to obtain medical licenses for each state that they practice in. These onerous relicensing requirements discourage qualified doctors from providing essential care through telemedicine to those in other states. 
We must streamline the licensing system and introduce a single comprehensive telemedicine license that once granted will allow care providers to see patients in all 50 states. Uh, and that's something that like a, 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 private op, a, a private option Medicare for all thing could just unilaterally do. And then suddenly that would could very easily become the gold standard. And it could be a situation where even serving more people, doctors could make way more money, uh, you know, with, with this kind of uh, 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 partnership with technology. Federal regulation of medical licensing will remove friction and encourage doctors to start practicing telemedicine and make inroads into primary care uh, deserts. Okay, so three, improve the economics of healthcare. How do we improve the economic incentives of our healthcare system? Like any other industry in the country, the healthcare system in America has evolved into the mess that it is today because the incentive structure allowed it to do so. Can confirm. So let's change it. We could rebuild and modernize the electronic health record to minimize uh, uh, the hours doctors spend on administrative tasks. This way, we can get doctors back to seeing patients and spending less time behind computer screens. Let's move to a system that incentivizes maximizing health instead of administrative activity. Let's free up practitioners to focus on doing their jobs, unencumbered by administration and unaligned incentives. Transition to 21st century payment models. Most doctors are still compensated through the fee-for-service model. This model pays doctors according to how many services they prescribe and thus incentivizes them to do unnecessary tests and procedures. This model wastes hundreds of billions of dollars a year, hundreds of billions of dollars every year. Uh, to get these wild costs under control, we should follow the lead of the Cleveland Clinic and the Mayo Clinic and help transition doctors onto a salary model. We can incentivize hospitals and clinics to adopt the salary model through cost savings and easy billing process. This will allow doctors and administrators to focus on patient care instead of Byzantine payment models with insurance companies. Uh, to give hospitals the fiscal freedom they need to transition doctors to a salary model, we should explore the, capital, uh, the capitation payment model. This would mean the hospitals could receive lump sums based on their patient intake instead of using complicated for, uh, fee-for-service arrangements. Any capitation payment method would be responsibly calibrated to ensure that doctors aren't forced to see more patients than they can handle, and low-intake rural hospitals receive enough funds to cover their operating costs. Uh, a model in which hospitals are paid through capitation and in turn pay physicians on a salary can align incentives so that patient care and compensation are on the same side. Doctors will be paid for providing giant, great patient care, not for prescribing them unnecessary, unnecessary tests and procedures. This would allow doctors to focus on a patient's health in the most effective way instead of the most expensive. This performance-based payment system incentivizes physicians to consider best practices for, uh, for uh, providing quality preventative health. Uh, it's not only cheaper to take care of a healthy person rather than uh, treat an ill person, it keeps people healthier by ensuring they see a doctor for their illness rather than self-diagnosing and risking negative consequences from improper treatment. <clears throat> so uh, moving away from defensive medicine, doctors operate under constant threat of malpractice lawsuits. These cases are only decided by a verdict 5% of the time, and when they are, they land in the doctor's favor 80% of the time. Despite the fact that doctors are almost always exonerated, malpractice suits can take years. As a result, doctors often prescribe needless procedures uh, and tests to avoid being sued. They're basically just covering their ass. Uh, we need to allow doctors to practice medicine that prioritizes their patient's health without legal fear in the back of their minds. In order to do this, we must reform the bloated tort system that takes up a larger percentage of GDP in the U.S. than other developed countries. So, uh, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's another thing I haven't heard any of the other candidates addressing, and it's a yeah. really big, big but, deal. Yeah. yeah. Tort reform is, 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 um, is kind of huge. It's, I mean, well, I've heard and, it. And, and, well, and also, frankly, like how, right, like the, the, argument about, the argument about who pays is actually less important than how you pay them and why you pay them. Like yeah. 
the, if you're, if you're, if you're only going, if all you're going to do is switch from private insurance companies paying for it to the government paying for it, and you don't take into consideration incentives at all the stages in between that you haven't really fixed the problem. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, decrease administrative waste. Uh, today, doctors spend two hours doing paperwork for every one hour they spend with a patient. That's fucked up. This explosion of administrative, ta administrative tasks is due in large part to the adoption of the electronic health record. The record was supposed to ease the documentation and billing processes, but its poor construction has doctors spending six hours a day on administrative tasks. We must leverage existing technology to automate routine admin tasks and rebuild the EHR from the ground up. Opening up the vendor process to include third-party developers or standardizing APIs across EHRs um, API is a way that a software... Let's stop and think for just a second how much money just that idea would save, right? If it's true that a doctor is spending two hours for <laughs> just doing administrative paperwork for every hour of actual care they're giving, That's you are going to have three, of have doctor three care. times as much care for the yep. same amount of money. Yep. That is huge. He just tripled the, the, the supply of doctors. Yeah, Basically. yeah, doctor hours. Yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Well, yep. it's the same thing. You know, exactly. That's exactly it, right? Um, so this actually, no, it's better. It's better because if you're, you're you're tripling the supply, the the availability of doctor hours without actually having to pay more doctors, so you're right. getting three times the care for the same amount of money. Yeah, <laughs> and scene. Uh, so, the, the, and interestingly enough, that's exactly the number by which uh, Canadians are paying less than Americans. Just want to well, throw, so this throw that out there. This alone, if that's all he did, would be a game changer. Right. That's a, yeah. So this will allow doctors to spend more productive time doing what they love, treating patients. It will also reduce the high doctor burnout rate that costs healthcare $4.6 billion every year. I didn't know anything about that. That's fine. Well, and it's also just like super, like, I mean, as someone who runs an organization, you don't pay your one of your top paid <laughs> salaried employees to clean to the toilets, some, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? This yeah. makes no sense. You, yeah. the, you want somebody cheap doing the easy shit and you want somebody expensive doing the hard shit. That's a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Okay, good talk. So increase availability of primary care. In order for everyone to receive primary preventative care, we need more doctors uh, or more doctor hours, as previously mentioned. We currently have a shortage of doctors, and the problem is only going to get worse if we don't make some changes. The astronomical cost of medical school is also a disincentive because becoming a lower-paid primary care doctor does not make sense for medical students with hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt. Can confirm. Um, <clears throat> we must take immediate steps to expand loan forgiveness programs for medical students who choose to become primary care or family doctors. This will help grow the primary care workforce. America has plenty. Yeah, of And that would be a very effective incentive right there. Right. That hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I mean, th so we're, we're sitting on a quarter million dollars in loans for Babs. Like course, we, like, yeah. right. We, we live in a tiny, tiny apartment. And that tiny, and it costs a little bit more than what her loan payment is. But like, we've always been in the situation where even when we own a house, um, we're, you know, we would be spending a thousand dollars on, on, you know, mortgage or whatever, and a thousand dollars on her loan and her loan principal over the last eight years since she's been at school has gone way up. Uh, and, it's you know, awesome. and she's a, she's a doctor. I, I mean, know. For, for goodness sake. Ima like, now, Im Im imagine how people with comparable loans who, who, who arts doctors are doing i mean it's, right it's, it's crazy so here's what's fun at the va and one of the biggest reasons why she wanted to go back 10 years of active duty in the va and they forgive your loan yeah right and i think she's got like eight years left yeah, uh, that, i mean that's the primary reason why like you know uh um like we, we didn't have a choice like we, we absolutely had to do that it's like you know getting 
an asset. Well, honestly, it's like getting her a freedom dividend after eight years. Yes. Like yeah. The, that's <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. Right? And you get to look at the ocean. Yes. I don't know if you've noticed, I'm doing this sunrise thing that's uh, uh, moving to YouTube. It's, it's pretty good. Anyway, uh, I like the ocean. Uh, we must take immediate steps to expand loan forgiveness programs, blah, blah, blah. We talked about that already. Uh, to increase primary care, uh, we must also look to our nation's 3 million nurses and 270,000 nurse practitioners. These professionals are trained and qualified to provide critical care to services, uh, but are banned from providing them due to restrictive regulations. Again, not in uh, uh, um, the, the, the Army, where it's actually, or the Air Force, at least, where it's working really, really well. Just have personal experience with that. Uh, our nation should follow the examples of states like Virginia, which passed a bill that allows seasoned nurse practitioners to open up their own practices and provide medical care to their communities. That's awesome. Responsible deregulation can open up our medical system and connect more patients to primary care. Uh, and again, with, with AI, uh, you know, a, a nurse practitioner with decent skills like on how to draw blood on how to do like the the, the work work of it will be at least as good as an average doctor right now if not significantly better like and that and the ai is only ever going to get smarter so anyway uh shift focus of care can shifting our focus of care help us reduce healthcare costs uh, preventative care is a critical part of managing our nation's health whether that means going for annual physical exams eating healthier food quitting smoking or exercising regularly uh, preventative care helps us avoid chronic medical problems that are the main drivers of healthcare costs. We need to stress the importance of preventative care and provide education on building healthy habits that will help people live longer, healthier lives. Uh, preventative care. Uh, patients should have low-cost access to essential preventative care like physicals and cancer screenings. Uh, by focusing on our citizens' health before they get sick, we can reduce the costs, huge costs associated with managing chronic health conditions. You should only die by getting hit by a bus. Sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> what in addition to more pre preventative healthcare, it is essential that we recognize the impact of factors outside the clinical uh, or uh, clinic or hospital that contribute to health outcomes we must and self-driving buses make that less likely too damn daniel <laughs> good yes and i they, well played uh we must teach healthy habits to young people and children eating an apple a day may not keep the doctor away but it does promote healthy eating teaching kids the basics of a nutritious diet and providing them healthy meals at school uh, and erasing food deserts where, you know, people that need to take a fucking two hour bus drive to find something that isn't high fructose corn syrup. Just throwing that out there. Uh, it's my, my little white girl, Karen uh, uh, notice for the day and providing early screenings to identify flags like behavioral issues and different types of disabilities are key pieces in building towards positive outcomes. Tackling these issues early gives kids the best shot at leading a healthy life. 13.7 million children and adolescents and 93.3 million adults in the U.S. are battling obesity. Um, see previous statement. Uh, genetics is a factor, but so are lack of physical activity and consumption of ultra-processed foods. Exercise for people of all ages has been recommended by physicians to prevent and help not only obesity, but also cardiovascular disease, stroke, type 2 diabetes, many types of cancer, and depression. Uh, we have a, uh, seen a significant reduction in the use of combustible cigarettes and tobacco, but there was always room to improve. Nearly 38 million American adults still smoke cigarettes every day and nearly 9 million people vape. <laughs> vape. <laughs> I, I'm so judgy when it comes to that. And I don't, I have no right to be, I just am. You just don't know enough hipsters. <laughs> I guess, I guess. I don't know. Like if I was hanging out with a hipster who was vaping, I, I would judge them ruthlessly. I really would. And pro not fairly, probably, but there you go. Uh, apparently I'm old. 
I don't know when that happened, but it did. Not including the recent spike in the number of uh, youth vaping, because youth vaping is way worse than hipster vaping. Uh, the Bubble gum flavored. <laughs> that's the thing. Like, if you're gonna make, if you're gonna make, I was worried about this beforehand. Like, the, like, it's no, it's just like those, water vapor. Those artificial flavors are disgusting too. Like, they don't okay. even taste good. <laughs> okay, good to know. Uh, the risk associated with smoking, whether combustible cigarettes or e-cigarettes, pose long-term health hazards that we must continue to combat. Uh, low-income Americans are often faced with a terrible choice, buy food or pay for medical care. Increasing Americans' buying power through the Freedom Dividend will create great new demand for healthy grocers to open stores in food deserts. Nice. By alleviating constraints on access to care and to healthy foods, we can improve people's lives and reduce the amount of money we spend on long-term care. They're also more likely to be able to afford gym memberships and personal trainers and, you know, good running shoes. Do you okay. know, like, if you do long distance running like I do, you're supposed to replace your running shoes every three months? Are you serious? That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's not cheap. Freedom Dividend would help people be healthier. Absolutely would. I agree. Uh, America is one of the most uh, developed countries in the world, but 41 million Americans face hunger, including nearly 13 million children. Um, <sighs> Food insecurity disproportionately affects households with children led by single women and people living below the poverty line. Um, other families are scraping by, but their incomes make them ineligible for any form of federal food assistance. So, I mean, uh, so like they've got jobs, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they're still hungry. Yeah. So the, 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 the federal jobs guarantee will help with that, right? I, 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 good God. Sorry. We shouldn't no, touch I mean, on that. I'm just trying to imagine, like, I'm trying to imagine how that would actually work. It wouldn't. Like, that's the thing. The like, government just, is going to, is going to, is, are they going to guarantee them a job where they live now, or are they going to have to move somewhere else? And, and, and are they going to fund they that? If they have to move somewhere else, is their cost of housing going to go up? I mean, well, and also, like, people that are working for do Age slavery, it is wage slavery, it is wage slavery. That is and you'd have is. to pay for them to move. I'm telling you, like, if, if you can't handle a $500 bill, you can't pay for a move. Right? And that's half the country. Anyway, moving on, because we don't have anywhere near enough time to get upset about the federal jobs. I'm just saying. Plus, we, we already had a whole episode with a former Bernie Sanders supporter explaining why that is a terrible idea. 100%. I, um, I, I actually think that possibly more significant than the fact that it's a wide field, the main reason Bernie Sanders went from nearly 50% of support to like 18% of support is because of the fact that he embraced the FJG. I mean, like, I, I have definitely had a lot of people tell me really liked Bernie Sanders last time and what the hell is up with this federal jobs guarantee. I think that I, that was, that, I think that was suicidal, like, political. I, I, you know, and again, in, in, <laughs> if it weren't for the fact that the UBI was around, and if you could convince me that it would only be attached to jobs connected to uh, uh, the Green New Deal and how essential all that stuff is, I would be for it because the federal jobs guarantee is better than welfare. Everybody is fine with the government giving people jobs if there's something for them to do. That's not the problem, right? right. Well, and and you know that anyway. So we that we moving on, moving on exactly. <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah, the freedom dividend would basically solve. Uh, or it's not gonna. It's the thing. It's like everything else, right? It's not gonna fully solve for it, uh, but it's gonna make the the potential for availability of actual real foods that much better. Uh, so. Uh, there's, there's more than this. So, uh, yeah, so food security through public health intervention not only ensures Americans have enough food, it has the potential of reducing the development of malnutrition, cardiovascular disease, and other health risks. This extensive problem has a solution, but it needs the support of the food banks, clinics, and the federal government. 
We have to build programs that create partnerships between clinics and food banks to address food security and health. Indianapolis has implemented a program like this in 2017 and continues to serve an average of 135 households in the community. Uh, imagine how many Americans we can promise nutritious food at the table by implementing this on a large scale. We actually worked with uh, a couple of uh, uh, homeless care providers. Uh, well, I'm not there anymore, but in, in Pasco County where, where I was from before. Mm-hmm. And the number of times that their food banks went completely and totally dry in the middle of the year and around Christmas would just boggle the mind. Yeah. No, I mean, and, and this is so important too, because access to healthcare is expensive and it's a lot cheaper to just have preventive care and even cheaper than that is just to be healthy you know it used it used to be that obesity was a rich people thing and now it's a poor people thing you know it's it's right like if you, you look back at like rubens paintings and stuff it used to be this is kind of funny the way it changes but like it used to be that being like curvy was considered sexy and that was because it was a sign of of wealth it was a sign that you didn't it was a sign that you didn't have to work yeah and that you could afford food right now now it's exactly the other way around skinny people like can afford personal trainers and fancy gym memberships and eat out at nice restaurants and the people who are who are getting really big and there have all of the extremely expensive health problems associated with that are folks who are living off crappy groceries from Walmart, super yeah. Walmart, you know, it, or it, even it's, like, like, it's not even necessarily yeah. their fault because like, like Yang says, that might be their only option where they live. And, and Walmart's actually a really, really good option for most, for most poor people. It's cheap. Like for, it's cheap and not, not and only cheap, it fills like, you up. they have real food. You know? there, there, yeah. There's, there's whole communities like the, the, where, where the poor and working poor, there's no Walmart for miles. You know, there's no bus service in, there's no train service in, there's no nothing. All you have to do is a fucking gas station. Yeah. Right? That's even worse. You're right. You're right. That that's much worse. And it's also very expensive in the case of the gas station. Right. right? Yeah. We're like a dollar like store. They would be, right? they would be much better off if they had a super Walmart. <laughs> Legit. No, no. So, so I guess what I'm saying is like a key way of saving money on healthcare is just to make it possible for individuals to just be healthy. You know, because but by the time they see the doctor, you've that's, already kind of messed. And that's up. one of the things that I love about a, a national collaborative effort, like a yeah. universal healthcare system. Because <laughs> okay, if you say so. Well, no, but like say, he's doing it. finish. Let me finish. By empowering people, not by having Uncle Sam come in. No, no, no. You know, listen, the thing, the thing that Rio. scares a lot of Trump voters, the thing that scares a lot of Trump voters, is that they're worried Uncle Sam's going to come in and say, like, you're not allowed to eat chips, and you're uh, not, you know what I mean. Like, fuck just take them. Away like, I dude, know, but I'm just like, saying, like the professional victimhood. I don't give a fuck do, what they think about anything ever. You can solve these problems by changing incentives. You don't have to come in with a sledgehammer of an authoritarian federal. May government. I I'm now sorry. finish my perfectly good point? <laughs> Absolutely, sir. Thank you. When you have a collaborative effort, you have a massive incentive to do preventative care that doesn't exist now. Right, like no insurance company needs to care about that because the second you get sick, they're just going to kick you off insurance. Right, like that's like that's how it happens. And you know, they're they're if they can legally, if they can. And honestly, they've set up all the rules from lobbies so that they can in massive numbers. Well, one of of the only good things. One of the only huge thing that's going on. Well, one of the good things about the Affordable Care Act is that you. They can't deny care to pre-existing conditions and they can't kick you off and refuse to provide care as easily as they used to. Although they're they're appealing those things in in a lot of states. So (laughs) 
this is what happens when you use a Republican idea um, okay. and, and allow any Republicans in office. I, I'm just saying like, anyway. like there, there are, there are like HMOs and stuff that are very good about preventive care precisely because they know it's a better business. Well, and, and the ACA did provide for incentives for that, right? Like that, the, yeah. the, the and, and those got funded. Um, so, you know, it, it, it ended up being a giant, uh, uh, you know, uh, incentive structure from government instead of, uh, you know, the, 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 the hammer that anyway, whatever. Okay. Moving on. Sometimes <laughs> government collaborative efforts can work. Anyway, how, how, um, how far are we along on this policy? By almost the way? half. Oh, that's great. Okay. So it's a good place to take a break. <laughs> I guess, I guess. Hey? So we're just, yeah, we're, we're going to send a two parter. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to have to be a two parter. <laughs> okay. uh, so Americans deserve better quality end of life care. Uh, end of life care should provide comfort and choice during this sensitive time while respecting the wishes of the individual. Uh, despite the increasing population of aging Americans, only 30% have had end-of-life care discussions with their loved ones. We need to ensure that people head into this decision informed with a clear plan so they could spend their last days in a manner of their choosing, not at the whims of the healthcare system. Many providers try to prolong end-of-life care to get as much money out of a dying patient as possible. <sighs> I've seen it. 8% of all health spending goes towards care for people during the last year of life, and families average out-of-pocket costs for end-of-life uh, obligations of 11000 $618. Incentives under fee-for-service result in more use of end-of-life care services, including more transitions among care settings, hospital days, intensive care, emergency care, and late enrollment in hospice. Uh, these kinds of services jeopardize the quality of end-of-life care and add to its cost. Access to palliative care just decreases emergency room costs, increases patient quality of life, which should be the only thing that matters, um, increases overall survivorship, uh, and improves cost savings in Medicare programming because of proactive care. Increased knowledge and preparedness of end-of-life care will allow patients and their loved ones to make informed decisions about their care. 71% of Americans say that given the choice, they would prefer to pass away at home, yet only 25% uh, we should give them that choice and uh, guarantee they will be properly cared for. You mean he's not pro death panels? Well, <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> I think it's it's funny to watch your face because you can't tell if I'm kidding or not. <laughs> no, no, I know I know you're kidding, but like, I I I. I no, the I'm, death panel, especially with I'm so applied to deeply triggered care by act. that phrase. Yeah. Like, the, <laughs> like I mean, applied to the like if you were oh. talking about the if you were talking about the Soviet Union's healthcare system, yes. But the Affordable Care Act, which, as you said, was is 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 literally based on a, a oh, that the Nixon administration originally put forward. It's just totally total nonsense, absolute nonsense, and it is nonsense when it comes to Yang's policy. Well, it's just right? like so. So let me just put it this way. In Canada, we have death panels. And it's basically a situation where they, <laughs> and it's not a death panel. That fucking phrase is retarded. If you've ever used that phrase, you're a fucking idiot. Let me just put that out there right now. Super judgy. Don't care. Because uh, right now, insurance companies are literally deciding whether you live or die for money. So let's put that out there. But like it, in, in a government-run healthcare system, there is a, a panel of doctors that sits down and decides what the best average of care can be uh, for the, 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 the most patients in the most uh, uh, situations. They actually cover every single possible situation that, that has been, been seen before and then map that against how much money they have and they, they make decisions based on, on 
on what's possible, right? So that is the, 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 the panel that ends up getting discussed about this. It is, you know, you want to say bureaucrats, it's not bureaucrats. It's literally, you know, doctors that are professionals in this stuff that are basically doing triage of care. It is a limited resource. What is the most that we can do for any patient in any given situation with the amount of money that we have? It's a really, really logical thing. Every other country in the industrialized world is doing it, but because some fucking Tea Party moron decided to yell at you that there was going to be death panels, and you automatically forgot that you're on an insurance plan, that they pay people to find reasons to kick you off your fucking healthcare. That is a job that exists, right? I just want to make sure that the people who... I just want to make sure that the people who are willing to pay for better than average care can get better than average care while they're also paying into medicare for all which i (laughs) like i I, yeah Yeah. dude i'm i i am that is the best thing that the united states will get like that's just that's just a fact I, i i also think it's just better than a situation where everybody has to it's so for the record satisfied with the lowest common denominator so so here's the thing when you have a, a a single tier system like in canada Suddenly, rich people create advocacy groups to make it better. <laughs> I'm sure that's true. I'm you know, sure it is. True. It's it's literally. Yeah, there's true. just more than one way to skin a cat, and we're like we we. we and again, with with yeah. multiple trillion, maybe tens of trillions of dollars in legacy sunk cost in the United States, you can't magically wave your hand. At least the thing, like as an ex Bernie supporter myself, as somebody who's for the spirit of that idea intensely, because I know that it is functionally better based on the data. You're not going to get that in this country. You just won't, right? They, like the amount of, of economic momentum that is in the currently operating system will fight tooth and nail. And in this country, they will win. It just, it's a fact, right? So you have to find some way yeah. to infect that system with a better idea and a public option is how to do it. Yeah, no, I, I also just fundamentally reject the lowest common denominator way of thinking about these I know. issues. I, no, I, I think we should I think we should take a break and do the rest of this policy as as a part two. I agree. Just to, to sort of like let's wrap up our conversation really quickly. But here's some thoughts that I have in mind right now. You know, for like I know you don't like the comparison, but one could argue that things like food and housing and energy have just as much claim to being a human right as healthcare does. And if you were to take the lowest common denominator idea and apply it to one of those, that also has negative uh, implications in terms of people's autonomy and means a lot of people would have a lower quality of life than they have now, right? So like, for example- if Not like, a lot, they, no. They're like, if they, the, the, if the they vast majority out, of people in America would have a better quality of life. That is a fact. I, I don't, okay, so-, so In, in so, this one vein, I'm not saying this is true yeah. for every other, for, for TVs, right? Like, that, right? like I'm saying for healthcare, it is a proven fact that, that that's true, right? Having everyone embedded in the same system gives everyone the incentive to want that system to be better. And that has been proven oh. to work every place that it has been tried in the history of the world. But like most, most, With healthcare of these, only. most, most of, most of the universal healthcare systems are more like Yang's than, than what Sanders is proposing. Right. Like in the, in the UK, for example, um, it, the uh, duplicative care is not against the law. Right, and they still have an excellent like healthcare system. Yeah, the the, NH- the NHS is 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 yeah. pretty good compared to right. Yeah, yeah. But I was just saying, like, so in the case of housing, you know, different people have different tastes and different preferences, right? And so this one size fits all 
Well, we have figured out that like if you take the total number of people and this is the amount of houses that are available now and then this is how many square feet you get, no more, no less, right? Like that's bullshit. Like you some people why? want a smaller you wanna... place. Do you get, some do you people not want get a smaller why it's place. Different? Some people want a bigger place. Like just let people make their choices. Do you seriously you know? not understand why it's different? No, I do understand it's different. I'm just saying like, I don't think that it is as different as people are pretending right now. And if you talk to a lot of the hardcore Bernie Sanders supporters, they will flat tell you that they aren't different and that they, they do want the government to dole out housing to everybody. Yeah, I've seen that. All of uh, this stuff. That's weird. It is weird. <laughs> okay. Anyway, but like now, we're in agreement. Granted, like they, like they, if, they, if, yeah. if everybody's paying into the Medicare for all system anyway, and if somebody in addition to that also wants to pay extra money of their own in order to get better than average care, yeah. I think that's only a good thing. Well, it's good yeah. for them, and it's also good for us because it, well, it's good for everybody because it yeah. lowers it lowers the cost on the taxpayer for the Medicare for All system. So there's just it's it's a win win situation. There's nothing bad about that. I you know okay. I, I, yeah no I, I do I I maintain that in this country that is the best possible <laughs> way out of this mess. It just is because that like that okay. the that anyway we we fuck it yep so. Anyway, and I, uh, I also maintain that it would be better than the alternative. <laughs> well, maybe it, that it, the it, in in the sort of political morass that is the country, you would have other problems that you would have to solve, like the lobbyist yeah. problem, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think and, that, that and the way like corporations said, are set problem, up in this country too, like that that they, yeah. like magically duct taping the Canadian system onto America is ludicrous. <laughs> Like it, 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 even as an ideal, everyone, like I've been defending it this whole time, understanding how fucked up the rest of political discourse is in this country. It just, it's a, it's a, it's a great ideal that it will only ever be that right now. I still want Bernie Sanders yelling about that idea. I really do. Because if it scares enough people, they're like, no, 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 let's do this thing that we should have done fucking eight years ago when we had a chance to get a public option under Obama or 10 years ago, whatever the fuck it is now. Right. Like that, like that's what makes me the most yeah, frustrated. No, it goes both ways. Like yeah. I was screaming yeah. about the public option in this exact context with almost all these exact same numbers in 2009. Right. No, but I, I'm just saying like it goes both ways. Right. So like if Bernie Sanders manages by some miracle to pass a policy that only 13% of the country supports, which won't happen, and, right? Like that's ridiculous. Right, he won't happen. Yeah. But like, if he does like, but maybe it will, like maybe he changes everybody's mind and the bill passes. Right. If so, President Yang will sign it, right? Yeah, exactly. And the other way around, if if we manage to pass Yang's version of the policy, or I mean, I'm sorry, if Yang's version of the policy goes up for a vote, Bernie Sanders will vote for it, right? And like, like, like they're yeah. like, they are like people people who are Yang Gang and Bernie Sanders fighting with each other about this issue keep forgetting that when it comes to the subject of Medicare for all, Yang and Sanders are on the same side. You guys, yeah, they really yeah, are. All the Democratic candidates are. Like that, they, like for, I, for the I most, don't even for think the Biden, most would Biden veto it. Would Biden veto it? No, he wouldn't. Come well, on. hold on. I, if if there was a corporation that was was angry at Biden, you might. Yeah, no. I mean, this is the guy right now. Don't forget, Biden right now is saying that without Trump, McConnell would be a little bit more reasonable. <laughs> no, he fucking wouldn't. Oh, like, I actually agree with him about that, but I like, don't know. Like, we have to. No, McConnell. Well, I mean, the entire Republican Party would be more reasonable without Trump. Disagree. <laughs> Hundred percent. Do you not remember the eight years of Obama? Like, is this like escaping your memory? They like this is not new. They're just defending an idiot now, so they sound dumber. Okay, how do I put this? Would they still be unreasonable when it comes to compromising? Yes, yes, yes. They would. That's that's the whole. That's the whole point. But the. 
they the actual policies that they were pushing through would be better than the ones they're pushing through with Trump. Well, they're not. Like, well, okay, Trump yeah. So they, the, Trump right. has Trump has like <laughs> we've talked about this. Trump represents the worst ideas from the far left and the far right. That's together, fair, right? So like, but that's not so about compromise. What, what Trump is, the, the, what Trump did to the GOP is he took a party that was flawed, deeply flawed. Both parties are deeply flawed, right? Took a party that was deeply flawed, and he got rid of all the good parts. <laughs> so yes, that is worse. Agreed. Okay. <laughs> Specifically talking about Mitch McConnell and whether or not he would be more reasonable. No, he's a, he's a partisan. He's he's completely a completely he's a undemocratic person. Yeah, and Biden Biden is trying to sell to people that desperately want to go back to some Hossian era bipartisanship that quite frankly never existed. It used to be slightly better, fine. But he's trying to he's trying to sell this, or he's delusional, and I'm not sure which one it is. I really don't know. The idea that putting you know uh, 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 Merrick Garland's uh, nomination out to pasture a year and a half before an election that was totally fine and right after trump gets elected he's like i would fucking never do that to, to a republican president right like, this but is all who McConnell i said is. was if the but all i said is if congress passed a metaphor medicare for all bill yes no democratic president is going to veto that 100 percent because it would be suicidal for them to do that. Well, and they wouldn't want to. Like that, that really is the thing. By the time it actually passed, there really would be a, a huge swell of movement support behind it, right? Yeah. Especially on the Democratic side. I'll, I'll tell you no this. No Democratic. So like the idea that you, have, that, that you have to have your guy in the White House is just like, it really is putting the cart before the horse. The president does the last goddamn step of this policy. Okay? Right. <laughs> I can, uh, again, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't, well, here's the thing. Like, if it actually passed the Senate and the Congress, I kept thinking like Biden might veto it because he's just that kind of guy. But not if not if like if it had sixty people in the Senate and you know, uh, 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 nah. it just it wouldn't it wouldn't happen. You're totally right. We I don't I don't believe that Biden would veto a bill. That I think I think you're right. Passed Congress that was supported by most Democrats. Yeah, I, like, I yeah. He, no, I, I, he, he's right. no he, he's not dumb enough to do that. He would like, he would be a one term president for sure if he did that. Right? Yeah, I, okay. I agree. All right, let's wrap it up then. Yep. Uh, and Andrew Yang is our taco. Yang 2020. Yang 2020. Oh, Yang 2020. Yang 2020. Secure the bag. Secure the bag. Secure the bag. And get some good health care. Rio doesn't know I'm doing this. Good talk. <laughs> oh, and uh, Andrew Yang's our taco. Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Uh, we are so excited to be bringing this to you, and we're so excited about the uh, the awesome community, the Yang Gang that's growing up around the candidacy uh, of Andrew Yang. Uh, if you could please tag us on Twitter with the hashtag Moving Forward Pod and uh, find and join the Moving Forward Podcast uh, group on Facebook. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, part of the reason I wanted to do our one-on-one first is so we can get like caught up on 
I don't know. <laughs> the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> I mean that like <laughs> last night, I'm not I was up, you know, and I, I I really don't drink that much anymore, but I seriously all I have is beer in the house, so I'm like, I'm just gonna get a beer. I'm watching some news because like <laughs> this could go so wrong in exactly the way that you just described. My wife fine. and her friends were like, hey, do you guys want to get high and go watch Cats? <laughs> and you were like, yes, yes. And I was like, you know what? That might be the... <laughs> yeah, I was like, that might be the only thing weird enough to take my mind off of the fact that Trump just started World right? War. Right? Could you imagine, like, like, you always kind of wonder, like, what, where, what would you be doing, you know, the day before, you know, World War I really got crazy? Well, if you're Rio... You would be watching cats just blowing the, your own mind out of the back of your head just because – why the fuck not? The world's microdosing burning. On, microdosing on shrooms, yeah. <laughs> Did you? That's the way to do it, man. That, I, and honestly, like if you really – if you knew in advance that the world was ending, I would say microdosing was definitely not aggressive enough. But yes, I, otherwise I agree. Well, I was worried that it would be really scary. I mean, like they have like cockroaches with human faces on them being eaten by these uncanny cat-like monsters. It's truly horrifying. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. I heard that it was just genuinely bad, but like I don't know no, anything about the is. cat's play or it's anything. Like, I... It is bad. It's just also really fucking trippy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs>